and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Before we get to the show, let's get the pleasantries out of the way. First of all, our website. If you want more information about our little podcast, go to wearethecontrarians.com. That's where you'll find links to our old episodes, to our Patreon channel, and to our awesome Contrarians merch. You can show your support by buying a Contrarians mug or a pillow. I like the laptop bags myself. Second of all, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. Or even go a step further and leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. Finally, if you want to reach out directly to us, that's what social media is for. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Contrarian Prime, or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Julio runs our official Twitter account at Contrarian Prime, but if you want to give me a piece of your mind or just want to banter about pro wrestling, you can follow me at Contrarian Alex. That's it. That's our intro. Now, time for the show. This is And we're recording for Contrarian's Corner for Breaking Dawn Parts 1 and 2. Hello and welcome back to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Here for the dramatic conclusion of the Twilight franchise, the saga. Uh, and what a conclusion it is. A bloody end for Homer Simpson is just one of the possible outcomes. Uh, I had no forewarning of some of the faces that would show up in this, so they were... Pops a plenty watching this. Uh, Julio, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. Alex, it just hit me, the realization that uh, we've watched about 10 hours of Twilight uh, over the last couple months. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, for this one, it was just almost four hours alone, just for this last episode. It's uh, That's a lot of Twilight when, when you just like, step back and look at it. <laughs> Big it picture. really is. I mean... <laughs> Uh, honestly, it made me appreciate some aspects of it, though. Um, we'll talk about this in the second half, and this is something we've talked about the entire journey. Is like, uh, it feels like if you're a fan of this stuff, uh, and this was something you were really into, they did right by you, uh, and kind of put some nice touches on things at the end that uh, rewarded you for sticking with it. But it is a lot. It's uh, and we've watched them in such close proximity. It's almost felt like um like a mini series or something. Yeah. I can't, I can't imagine watching these in real time over um, four years, five years. Like the cliffhanger in the middle of this, you know, from Breaking Dawn Part 1 to Breaking Dawn Part 2, just people must have been just foaming at the mouth. I was like, I want to see what happens next. I want to see that baby. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we get the fucking Prometheus cesarean scene with Bella there. <laughs> But, but yes, we are here to conclude our Twilight coverage. We've blitzed through these. And again, my name is Alex and my partner is Julio. We are the contrarians here. Uh, we are a podcast that uh, goes on the defensive or offensive, just depending on Rotten Tomatoes' prerogative and their point of view. Uh, if this is your first time listening, which could be the case, seems like we've gotten some uptick with uh, some of this uh, Twilight coverage. Um, so if you're joining us again, thank you. If it's your first time, don't worry. We're going to explain real quick what it is we do here. Uh, as I mentioned here on The Contrarians, we like to rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. Find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is highly rated, a lot of times known as Certified Fresh, coming along with that trademarked IP. Uh, and what we'll do with that is break down that movie and talk about maybe why that Rotten Tomato score doesn't tell the whole story. Uh, maybe there's some poor acting in it, bad storytelling choices, bad soundtrack, questionable direction, etc., etc. Uh, conversely, we'll find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is lowly rated, one of those nasty green splotches. We typically shoot for about 30% and below, and as you'd guess, argue for that film's positive merit. Maybe some of the... Uh, Scenery, practical effects, score, uh, some under-celebrated acting or storytelling that maybe the critics just kind of uh, ignored or didn't get out there uh, in the proper way to the public. All in an attempt to say that, uh, number one, these Rotten Tomato scores don't always, they're not always the whole ball game. They don't tell you what you can expect from cover to cover. And two, uh, having a little fun with the subjectiveness of it all in the sense that you can be as over the moon as you want to be about something, no pun intended with Twilight, uh, or as uh, cynical, negative about something if you truly set your mind to it. Uh, being that, looks like Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 1 is at 25% on Rotten Tomatoes, 
and part two rests at 49%. So they, they picked it up a little bit. But either way, those are recognized as rotten. So here in the first half, what we call Contrarian's Corner, we're going to be making a case for the, the, <laughs> the good of the dramatic conclusion of Twilight. But Julio, if those listening want to know how we really feel about what we're discussing here today, they just have to hang around for the second half. That is correct. And I would like to point out, averaging it, 25 plus 49 divided by 2, 37%. That is rotten. There is no way around it. So so we're going to treat this as if it was rotten. Uh, yes, and then part two of every episode, aptly titled Real Talk, where we tell you how we really feel. How do we feel about not just the finale of the, the Twilight Saga, but also I think that once we get to Real Talk, we're going to talk about the entire, uh, the entire journey. We started with Twilight on the Patreon feed, then we did New Moon on the main feed, then we did, each of us separately, did quick video reviews for Eclipse, mm-hmm. and then here we are. All right, Julio, so let's get to it. We typically kick this off with some reviews that you pluck from the uh, bushel of tomatoes uh, that is Rotten <laughs> Tomatoes, and they better be juicy for the purposes of Twilight. What, uh, what were these fuckers saying about the over-billion-dollar grossing finale to this? All right, so, so what I did seeing that we're taking two movies here, I plucked Rotten Tomatoes for Breaking Dawn 1 for this part. And then once we get to real talk, uh, we'll be reading some fresh tomatoes for Breaking Dawn Part 2. We're going to start with Don Groves from sbs.com.au. That's Australia, who says, After all that foreplay, the new Twilight Saga is a limp anticlimax. Wow. (laughs) Four movies of foreplay. Well, I guess three and a half. This is the one where they have sex. <laughs> this yeah. is a, so, I mean, I don't know. They, they break a bed. Probably more than one. Limp? I don't I think uh, Pattinson disagrees. <laughs> Intensely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'll show you limp. Next, Debbie Lynn Elias from Behind the Lens says, The fans, the story and the Twilight franchise deserve better. I I think the fans disagree. <laughs> they yeah. disagreed with their wallets. I was about to say, I'm pretty sure uh, th- this turned out all right for everybody involved. Yes. Sorry, Debbie. Uh, you might be on your own there. Next, Maddie Lucas from The Dispatch, Lexington, North Carolina, says, A movie just about Bella's dad would probably be more interesting than any of the hormonal claptrap going on in this one. Now I'm not going to argue with I that. I don't disagree that I want it. Yeah, <laughs> I want the, I want the Charlie spinoff. And finally, Jim Lane from Sacramento News and Review says director Bill Condon prostituting himself flirts with teen porn. What? Uh, I I disagree with that. Get that guy's review of Blue's Warmest Color and see what he thinks of that. <laughs> I I don't think Jim. It's not just that Jim wasn't the intended audience for these movies. I think he he holds a grudge that goes beyond Twilight. What did Bill Condon do to this guy? Yeah, and uh, this was for part one, you said, these reviews? Yeah, part one. Yeah, so he's definitely going to have some umbrage and some issues with uh, some of the plot development in part two. <laughs> Baby-related issues. Um, yeah. Well, those are the quotes. Uh, I mean, there's over 200 critics Piped in, threw their two cents in uh, for, oh, yeah. for Breaking it's, Dawn Part 1. Yeah. We're a decade removed from this, so it's kind of uh, not hard. I mean, a lot has happened in the world since then, but these were like a cultural happening at the time, and everyone seemed to have an opinion on it. So it doesn't surprise me to hear that there's hundreds of reviews covering it. Yeah. Uh, so that's it. That's that's a sample. Now, uh, take us into Contrarian's Corner, Alex. Childhood is not from birth to a certain age. And at a certain age, the child has grown and puts away childish things. All right. So Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 1 was released on February 18th of 2011 with a budget of $127 million, a box office return of $712 million. I guess these people were getting paid more. That's the only thing I could rationalize where the budget came from because these last two in particular they definitely were in love with the computer generated graphics (laughs) 
we don't get that many new characters in this one, though. I mean, the in the in the first one, I, Breaking Dawn Part Two budget, I I can see how you know. Uh, Twilight, the New Mutants, uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> the next chapter, <laughs> the next generation. So both of these were directed by Bill Condon. Who are you familiar with? Anything else he's done, Julio? Yes, I I watched. I think it's called Gods and Monsters with uh, him. Uh, mm-hmm. He directed with it's Brendan Fraser and uh, Magneto. Uh, Ian McKellen. Um, I think I've mentioned on the show before. Uh, McKellen plays James Whelan, the director of Frankenstein, and uh, mm-hmm. Brendan Fraser is his gardener, I think, and they they have this relationship. And it, I mean, it's a good movie. Uh, and then he did that uh, the sex movie with uh, Liam Neeson, Kinsey. I think that's what it's called. Uh, he did the screenplay for Chicago, and also directed the live action adaptation of Beauty and the Beast that had. Um, Emma Watson in it. Really? So there you go. Okay. I saw that movie more than once. Did not notice that Bill Condon was behind the camera. So both directed by Bill Condon and both the screenplays were by Melissa Rosenberg. Uh, it looks Familiar like. Familiar name by now. Yes. Uh, she contributed along the journey. No Academy Awards for these five movies, though. <laughs> this was the last chance and, and they couldn't. And then Breaking Dawn Part 2 came a year later on November 16th of 2012, a budget of $136 million. That one with a whopping box office return of just shy of $830 million. So uh, Twilight was on fire. And then they pulled the plug. That was it. They made all that money and they're like, they called it quits. There's no money left to be made. What's fucking Hans Gruber say? There are no more kingdoms to conquer. All right. <laughs> So we start off our journey here with Breaking Dawn with Jacob storming out of his uh, shack that he lives in. And uh, he's he throws a piece of paper on the ground. He's obviously in a, in a foul mood. And we come to find out that uh, Edward and Bella are to be wed. And we kind of get the reaction of the, the members of the peanut gallery. Of course, uh, Billy Burke, Charlie doesn't seem too thrilled by it, but he'll go along with it. He was Team Jacob. He, he definitely was. Uh, but we see at the completely uh, computer animated home of the Cullens that uh, they they're all for it. They're very excited. We get like Edward before the I don't know if it's I think it's the night before they get married. He explains his dark past to Bella about how <laughs> he was essentially a rebellious teen. But what that means for him as a vampire is that he killed like murderers and rapists and shit. And you know, at this point, what would it take for her to? be surprised or kind of like upset by something he does well she actually thinks it's kind of cool right she goes like well you were killing bad people you you were almost batman <laughs> i think that may come your way a few years from now but <laughs> yeah she's of course not bothered by it and that's all that he has and then goes out for the bachelor party which i'm not sure what that entails i know that i would have been very interested to see like a 15 minute side plot of what the vampire bachelor party is like but you know we got to keep this movie a tight 155. We can't really splurge on <laughs> scenes like that. <laughs> but the wedding day arrives and it starts off with like a, not a premonition, but just kind of a nightmare from Bella about what this could potentially turn into. She has like a, a nightmare that the Voltori show up and ruin everything. And Dude, it, she has the Age of Ultron opening. You know, Tony Stark sees the vision of all the Avengers dead, like a pile of dead Avengers. I guess I remember that now that you're saying it, yeah. It's like a pile of uh, dead high schoolers and vampires and then Michael Sheen on top laughing like a maniac. Good stuff. Uh, but yeah, it's it's obviously not to be as we go to the real wedding. It's a beautiful day. Elizabeth Reeser, Anna Kendrick, both looking just fantastic. At this point, though, it was obvious Anna Kendrick's career had taken off because this is uh, the last we see of her in the franchise. She's at the wedding yeah. here and She's happy to be there, though, and she gets, like, the ditzy bridesmaid speech later. We get a montage of wedding speeches, which is, like, a gift because usually you just get, like, the one mm-hmm. awkward wedding speech, but there's, like, literally a montage of, like, circling through these. Is this the first time? I think I think it's the first time that the franchise has been actively trying to be funny. Uh, I would think so, yeah. Like, uh, Bella's mom starts singing and uh, Billy Burke does the the classic dad speech of like, uh, well, I'm gonna, I'm a cop and I have a gun. So if you ever disrespect my daughter, <laughs> I'll kill you. And then is it Emmett 
that just bombs with his jokes. Yeah, because he goes up and he, I've always said they almost hit the nail on the head because, you know, one of my favorite gags is the guy who says an inappropriate joke and one person laughs at it. <laughs> but he goes up there and he makes a joke about sex and everyone just kind of, you know, you hear the uh, uh, in the background. <laughs> uh, but as they cycle through it, it gets better. Uh, Jacob shows up. Uh, you know, he was definitely really mad there for a little bit. I thought he was going to just live in the woods forever. He was but so mad he took his shirt off. Yeah, man. And the dynamic between them, I still don't, I, I guess I'll never understand because he just wants to be there and be supportive. And then Edward, <laughs> you know, after spending the whole last movie just like hating him, he's like, I'll leave you two alone. We'll see what's happening. <laughs> he's learned, Alex. He's the bigger man now. The bigger vampire. I, I guess. Uh, as Jacob and Bella dance and she uh, professes her intentions to Jacob of, you know, I still am going to become a vampire, but after the honeymoon and uh, the implication is they're going to have sex and he's like, but it'll kill you. And it leads to, <laughs> it's a tense wedding because there's that. And then there's also their cousin. Is it Irene, Irina that uh, like freaks out at the sight of uh, one of the werewolves there and also just doesn't believe in the wedding to begin with. Uh, because you know she's a human, and the Voltori will be mad about it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And rightly, Edward calls out, "What would a wedding be without you know some family drama?" Because that is absolutely nail on the head. He's so chill in this movie. I mean, you know, I, I guess he mistakenly he thinks that they've arrived at the happy ending, so there's nothing else to worry about. He's being obsessing over everything that could go wrong over three movies, and now you get to this one. He's like. I made it. This is it. Happily ever after. He doesn't worry about anything. Uh, I think also that we, as an audience, like we've earned this. Uh, uh, unlike the characters, we know that things are going to get ugly because we still have like whole two movies ahead of us. But I found myself really relishing the the wedding ceremony because there's, I mean, yeah, there's the tension or whatever. But overall, it's like a pretty happy celebration. And uh, mm -hmm. I actually, it kind of snuck up on me how much I'd grown to care for all these characters. I was like, oh, I'm, it's so nice that they're happy and they're having a good time. And, and and then also just dreading because I know that this is, it's not the end. You know, this is usually how you expect the movie, the whole franchise to end with the wedding. But it said, this is the beginning. And I know that at some point, pretty soon, things are going to get ugly. Yeah, it's, I mean, the whole last movie was like tension building. And it seemed like. Even though they killed Bryce Dallas Howard, Victoria at the end, it's like, well, there's still some unresolved tensions here. So that was kind of why I was surprised that we got like, before we knew it, we're a half hour into this movie with no action. Uh, uh, I mean, well. of the, <laughs> I was about to say, like, no hand to hand or. Well. <laughs> no, no violence. The, it, well. The, we, <laughs> we had action of a passionate nature as we first go to Brazil for the honeymoon and then we find out that. Uh, it's like a fucking private island that the Collins own that he takes Bella to. On their way out, too, we get the lonely howl of <laughs> Taylor Lautner as the woman he loves is off to <laughs> fuck his mortal enemy in a faraway <laughs> land. So, Alex, are you, are you, I mean, I'm not going to say that you're Team Jacob now, but I got the feeling that throughout Eclipse, you, you softened a little bit on the guy. And now you, do you, do you feel for him? Do you feel bad for him now as this is happening? He's lost. Edward won. I mean, maybe for the first act of this movie, but then when he just starts hanging around and helping them, I'm like, oh, man, what a bitch. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just trying to appreciate your last night as a human. So they go off. It's time to consummate the marriage, and they do in a very dramatic fashion. The bed, like, implodes around them. They wake up the next day, and... I don't like where my mind lives, Julio, because she has like some feathers from the bed in her hair, but it's like white. And I, I was like, good Lord, this is a children's <laughs> movie. Uh, and, when when did we learn? Was it ever explicitly said that Edward was a virgin? Or was that just something like an implication? Because I, I think his last movie, maybe in New Moon, too, that, that we learned that he's really religious he was raised religious and that's why he wants to marry her i guess you know it, I, I maybe it, i just didn't connect the dots until we got to this part where it was like oh they're both losing their virginity on this honeymoon uh which made it more it made it more special also made it more intense and i could totally understand that the complete awkwardness of the situation because edward's acting like he also doesn't know what to do or rather like he, he can't control himself 
Yeah, that's interesting because in the last one he showed some restraint that I don't think a man who was had gone five hundred years with ever without sex could do. But <laughs> maybe he is. But they definitely get to it and have at it here. But the next morning she has like some sex wounds, like bruising and some scratches, and she doesn't seem concerned by him, but he certainly does. And he said he, you know, he doesn't want to do that again. Uh, so we get this montage of them not having sex on their honeymoon, like playing chess and going for walks and swimming. And it's actually pretty funny. Fed delightful rom-com stuff that we haven't had in the franchise so far. It definitely feels like something for romantic comedy. You're absolutely right. Uh, but she gets sick and, you know, they call Carlisle and Alice and Alice is freaking out because she can't or she calls Bella because she could sense something's wrong because she can't see Bella's future anymore. And Bella comes to the realization that she's pregnant. And, you know, both Edward and Carlisle are like, what the hell are you talking about? And <laughs> that's not how it works. You know, they've heard crazier things, it sounds like. But it appears as though she's been infected or infested with a demon baby because Edward <laughs> refers to it as it. Um, I did not expect the movie to kind of get political where the movie goes from here is a very basically, if I had to summarize it, it's like we find out that if Bella lived in Austin, Texas, like she would vote for Greg Abbott. That's <laughs> she like her and Rosalie come out swinging as pro life, which I, regardless of whether you agree with their position or not, like it is. A fascinating development to have four movies into the franchise. <laughs> yes. You know, we were watching Twilight, New Moon, even Eclipse. I did not think that halfway through the fourth movie, we were going to have basically a debate about abortion. But mm -hmm. that's where this movie goes. <laughs> Completely blindsided me. Have to guess it goes somewhat over the heads of the viewing audience. They're being inundated here with uh, <laughs> right-wing schlock. You think so? You think that people watching it, they were just I mean, if you're not if you're not making that connection, what are you thinking while well, this is going on in the movie? Are you like oh, subconsciously uh or subliminally inundated? They just left here being like, let's go burn down a planned parenthood. <laughs> but I guess I mean that's the the cool thing, right, about this movie is that the the Collins there's disagreement among the ranks, so mm -hmm. it, it actually becomes a microcosm of America. <laughs> yeah, these vampires, though, are a bit more sensible, I feel. It helps that they're not arguing on Twitter. They're actually face-to-face, -face, you know, expressing their opinions. I think that Rosalie is the most hardcore out of all of them. Uh, I think that the most, like, hardline believer in uh, the sanctity of the unborn demon <laughs> that's inside of Bella. Uh, whereas I guess I would say Edward is probably the most hardcore out of the the left-wing vampires. Or he's just like, <laughs> I don't care. We just got to save the mom. Um, dude, I was, I did not expect that. I, I know, you know, it's 2022 Roe versus Wade just got repealed. So it, it hits harder maybe now, but even back then, <laughs> that's gotta be, I'm sure some fraction of the audience at least felt that it was very relevant. Yeah, I agree. It definitely comes out of nowhere and it's pretty surprising. Uh, but, you know, Bella definitely stands her ground on that one. It's interesting, too, later in the movie because Edward's just like, it cuts a promo on her about, you know, you're willing to die for this. So how, how do you expect me to, like, respect your opinion on this matter? Because you're going to leave me. <laughs> it's, a, it's a fascinating um, end pass they find themselves at. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, which I guess makes sense, right? Like this is, you took them all the way to the happy ending at the beginning of this movie, so now you have to go to extremes in a way to to add complications to to their lives. So this was nobody told me that this was what Breaking Dawn was about. <laughs> I thought it was gonna be about them, the Collins versus the Volturi, not the Collins versus the abortion debate. All this fighting isn't good for Bella. The fetus isn't good for Bella. Say the word, Alice. Baby. It's just a little baby. Back at the tribe, Jacob's just going on and on about how much he misses Bella. And, 
you know, it's it's proposed to him that he needs to imprint on somebody to kind of get his mind off of it. Uh, I wonder if that'll come back into play later. Uh, but B- Bella's rushed home. Uh, Edward and Jacob are going to work together on this because, uh, you know, she what's the compromise? They they think it, that she can have it if she turns at the last like right after it's born. But it's possible that this thing is going to kill her. Well, even uh, if uh, if even if they go with that plan, there's not a hundred percent certainty that it would work. She could still die. You know, it's like they don't know that they can turn her in that brief window when the baby's out and she's still not dead. Then we get like Taylor Lautner, his scene of speaking to Bella about like, how can you do this to us? You know, putting this and risking this for you don't even know what. And, you know, we've seen definitely the progression of Taylor Lautner's acting and he does kind of get in his emotions here and, you know, kind of give her the what for. (laughs) Well, I love it that uh, Edward tells him, Go talk to Bella because you have a connection with her that I don't have. And uh, maybe you can connect with her. And then Taylor Lautner goes in there and loses his shit. <laughs> <laughs> like he was supposed to calm her down. He was supposed to reason with her. And instead he gets all emotional and ends up storming off, which it's so Jacob. <laughs> you got to have the Oscar clip in there. Taylor Lautner knew, you know, they're just words on paper. He's got to make them come to life. <laughs> but even at this point, Edward sees that. Taylor's just like a fucking puppy dog and he's going to do whatever he can. And so he's going to take advantage of it. He's like, I don't want to talk to my wife. Go, you go talk to her about this. <laughs> he's like, I know you're going to, and she's not going to fuck you or anything. So I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> but with the the birth of this, uh, there was a wrestler named Gino Hernandez by, he went by the handsome half breed and uh, this handsome half breed that's brewing in Bella's womb definitely catches the ire of the uh, the wolves and the tribe there and so there's like a wolf meeting called where sam the leader is saying you know we got to kill this thing and kill anybody that gets in our way we can't allow this to uh be born and you know we've played nice long enough that type of thing and this is where though jacob kind of breaks away and he rises up literally he like puffs his chest out and says you know i don't have to take this shit anymore and he <laughs> becomes a lone wolf or so we think. He's quickly joined. Okay, Julio, have I just not been paying attention? Is this Seth character new to this movie, or has he been around? He's been around, but uh, I think credit to Bill Condon, Melissa Rosenberg, and I, I guess maybe Stephanie Meyer. I mean, they, they finally, Breaking Dawn, part one, is where I finally was able to tell the wolves apart. You know, like, they stopped being the wolves, and they became independent, uh, unique characters, like, so I could tell, like, oh, here's the leader, and then here's the young kid, and then here's the the ex-lover from the leader. And it's like, okay, that's three separate wolves. Like, they're no longer this blur. Um, I'm pretty sure they've been there before. It sounds like they were there before. <laughs> well, he definitely didn't have as many speaking lines or, like, as much personality in the previous ones, because here he's just kind of like, uh, he'd be the first guy to die in a Vietnam movie, because he's really excited to be mm-hmm. there, and he really wants to help out, and he just is really likable. Um so he's got some backup. It's Seth and um, it's uh, is it Leah? Leah Clearwater. Yes. And that's Seth's older sister. And she's just there to make sure nothing happens to Seth. So uh, fortunately, Jacob has some backup here. Uh, we get a scene of <laughs> of uh, Edward Google image searching immortal babies, <laughs> trying to figure out, you know, what the hell's going on. He has to uh, turn safe search off so he can get some. Solid hits. He's got the uh, incognito window open. Uh, (laughs) So this upcoming scene is what I referenced earlier, where uh, I have in my notes is the best adapted screenplay scene of where Edward just unleashes on her when she's, you know, he's saying, I don't want to be alive anymore. You're going to die. And well, you have to still be here to take care of our baby. And he said, how do you think I could tolerate it, let alone learn to love it if I knew it's what killed you? And this is like the first time in the entire franchise where Edward raises his voice at Bella and just kind of accosts her for how selfish and completely um, naive and stubborn she's being in this situation. It's uh, definitely the most flexing of the acting chops we've seen from Robert Pattinson so far. And God bless. Couldn't have come a moment too soon, in my opinion. Yeah, it was necessary uh, to see uh, a different side of Edward. I mean, I think that He's been more of a passive-aggressive partner when it comes to conflict with Bella. He's just been very uh, 
eventually he manipulates it to where everything goes this way. He's been around for a couple hundred years. He's he's figured out how to manipulate people. Right. But this is the first time that he's dealing with a pregnant woman. And uh, she's she's not going to fall for the usual stuff. So so you're right. He actually has to raise his voice and try some new tricks. And I don't know that it works on Bella, but it definitely works on the audience. Because you're suddenly like, oh, there's more to him. It may not be good, but it's at least uh, interesting. And with Bella getting sicker and sicker and sicker, they have no real bright ideas of how to cure her or make her feel better. You know, emergency and some fucking Sudafed ain't going to do a trick with this one. So they, based on a snide comment that Jacob made in his mind that Edward read his mind, they figure out, well, maybe if we give her some blood and fucking Mike Dexter's, I've got some O negative left over in the, you know, the, the storage or some <laughs> shit. It's ridiculous. So they brilliantly have the idea that if they give her blood, the baby will like it and start to feel better. And that works. They put blood in a fucking 7-Eleven cup and Kristen Stewart just gulps it down and immediately starts feeling better. Her pulse starts uh, normalizing and, you know, she says it tastes good. So she's obviously on the right path. Uh, any of y'all who have watched the Netflix original series Dahmer with <laughs> Evan, what's his name? Peters. Evan Peters. Quicksilver. That's like one of the big scenes in like the first half of the series is he's working at a blood bank and he steals a couple of bags of blood and there's this scene of him drinking blood at home that's fucking intense. He doesn't quite put it in a sippy cup or anything like that, but it, it <laughs> having watched that recently, it reminded me of this. So it calms the baby for Dahmer? It calms the beast inside of him. At least <laughs> it, it actually just gives him a taste for more. Um. I, I knew as I was watching this that this was going to be something that was going to capture your attention, uh, receive, I'm assuming, praise from you because uh, the the special effects on Bella as she withers with this pregnancy, they're, they're pretty good. They, I'm guessing it's a mix of CGI and practical, but you can't really tell. All you can tell is that Kirsten Stewart is kind of just consuming her, herself. Jesus, I would hope the weight loss with CG because she looks bad but there's there has to be you know when we're talking about her face you know that some of it at least has to be makeup oh yeah some uh Reagan makeup yeah 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 um again I the imagery that we go into towards the end of this movie is not what I had come to expect from the franchise so once again it just took me by surprise because yes we've seen some decapitation several actually uh last movie and there's been violence and there's been special effects but not in a way that leaned so much towards horror like this last part i mean you made the, the prometheus comparison earlier and that is 100 percent right like this is that's the territory that we're entering towards the end of this movie yeah it, it definitely starts to feel what were really hot at the time like the late 2000s early 2010s was the, were those uh, exorcism movies and it definitely starts to have like the feel of that. Like there's this bad thing that's going to happen looming. And basically the, the last happening in the film is that uh, the other Collins, though, are famished and needing to hunt. But they're obviously surrounded by fucking wolves. Jacob creates a diversion in which it makes it seem like he's turning on the family and giving them up to be eaten. But in fact, you know, it's just creating a distraction so that uh, Elizabeth Reeser, Mike Dexter and the others can go get a pick me up. Because they're going to need their strength for what comes next. Uh, first, we learn the proposed names that <laughs> Bella has for this kid. She's going to name it Edward Jacob or uh, Jacob Edward. And then Renezami. I was playing around with her mom's names. Renee and Esme. And I was thinking, Renezami. This is uh, Taylor Lauter's best acting moment in the entire franchise his reaction to that it's not the reaction to the name is the his reaction to edward's enthusiastic reaction to the name they're like becoming bros in this <laughs> yeah it's a it's just that like a two second close-up but it this is the moment where i just said all right let bygones be bygones. Let's bury the hatchet with jacob i'm not gonna hate him going forward i think that i i think i can handle him being around can definitely view him as weak, but he, I guess he needs to be there to help out with the cause. So it's time to defend the house while this 
god awful cesarean happens. They <laughs> cut her Bella open and begin fishing the baby out. Uh, they eventually do get it out. And so, has Edward had medical training? Is that the again? This might be something that was mentioned in one of the previous movies because he seems to know kind of what he's doing because Carlisle is not there and Edward takes the lead. Right? Well, he, when you've been around that long, you've got to pick up a few like you know carpentry and medical skills <laughs> along the way. I would imagine. You get bored, pick up a new hobby. Let's deliver a That's couple right. babies. Learn how to set a bone, how to deliver a baby, that type of thing. But in the end, a child is born, and Bella almost immediately just starts to wither and fade away. So Edward injects her with what he calls his venom. It's just this giant fucking syringe that he just stabs into her heart. It's not unlike... Uh, Vincent Vega with the mm-hmm. adrenaline needle at Eric Stoltz's house. The only difference is Bella doesn't jolt awake here. And there's the big fight going on outside with uh, the Collins and Jacob versus the the wolf pack. Uh, but inside, Edward's just like biting everywhere he can, trying to trying to infect Bella and jolt her back to life with immortality. Oh, you know, Jacob is not at the fight because Jacob is busy being part of the second best Jacob moment in the entire <laughs> saga we finally get to see what imprinting looks like alex yes because he goes to fight after that excuse me Uh, he goes and joins the brawl afterwards uh but yeah he imprints on this baby i remember seeing this scene when the movie came out uh watching it in the booth with one of my co-workers who had like read the book or something it was explaining to me what was happening it was like it's a baby like what is he doing he just kind of stares at it peers into its soul and it's like um Ron and Tammy. Tammy won. You know, the <laughs> Patricia Clarkson. So that it's is a just very like that. twisted read on the <laughs> imprinting, <laughs> which, you know what? To be fair, I think it's uh, the read that a lot of people have. I I read it differently, Alex. I Look, there, there's a few things that if you've been barely aware of pop culture over the past 10 years or so, you know, it's like even if you haven't watched the Twilight movies, you've heard about imprinting. So in my mind, I was like, oh, this is gross. He, you know, he's in love with Bella, but he can't have Bella. So instead, he decides to fall in love with her baby. What the fuck is that? And, you know, (laughs) in Twilight aficionados would tell me like, no, 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 it makes sense. It makes sense. And uh, God damn it, they were right. It makes sense. He doesn't, it's not like sexual kind of love. It's not like, oh, he he wants to marry the baby. He, He just, the way I read it, like, you know. He sees the baby, and he recognizes in a very pure way everything that he loves about Bella as a person. And it's like, now there's this baby, and in that moment, he realizes he's just going to spend the rest of his life making sure that that baby's safe. You know, and just to sell it, Taylor Lautner falls to his knees, <laughs> which is amazing. <laughs> it's just like the combination of uh, Condon just shooting it, it, it in a very impactful way and then the the performance Taylor Lautner just goes blank because I think that what the movie's trying to get you to believe before that is that he's going to kill the baby right like he's he knows that the baby's trouble he thinks that Bella's dead he's been crying outside for a moment and then he comes back and you're like oh he's gonna kill the baby and then he looks into the baby's eyes and he falls to his knees and suddenly he's devoted to this baby for the rest of his life uh okay well now I get it <laughs> now I get why people were okay with the imprinting, you know, is uh, he becomes her guard dog for the rest of the of the franchise, and that's I actually think that's pretty cool that they found a way to turn the Taylor Lautner character, the Jacob character, into somebody I could actually root for. Your whole center shifts. Suddenly, it's not the Earth holding you here, and you would do anything be anything she needs. A friend, a brother, a protector. But we do, you know, jokes aside, we find out what the most practical and immediately useful quality of imprinting on the baby is, and that's that the wolves can't attack a being that one of their own has imprinted on. So they immediately just kowtow and back off. It's like, well, shit. He's got us here. We didn't expect this to happen. And so then begins the respite or the downtime and the waiting 
And the way we leave off in Breaking Dawn Part 1 is Bella finally, you know, she's starting to heal, not unlike a sequence from one of the X-Men movies with Wolverine where he just, you know, his regenerative powers, her hair grows out. And then the last thing we see in the movie, it's actually pretty cool. It's a good cliffhanger for a movie is, boom, her eyes open and they're red. So we know she is now a vampire and, you know, she's a Cullen through and through. But is she going to be good or bad, Alex? Well, that we don't know. The The red eyes are a really nice touch. I did think it was a cool closing. And the credits are really fucking cool. The way they cycle through color cards of red, white, and black. I, I thought that was, I don't know if it was white. You know, some people might say talcum or parchment or something like that. But <laughs> but uh, we get the post credit scene, which kind of sets the table for what we can expect. Not only Bella's a vampire, but what the conflict is going to be in uh, part two. And we get... Wesley Snipes himself, Michael Sheen, shows up, has, to me, the funniest part in the movie where he talks about, he gets a letter from Carlisle and he makes fun of the fact that Carlisle has an S in it. Did you catch that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. It's fucking great. <laughs> and they receive word, the Voltori, that they've welcomed anew into their their covenant or their tribe and they need to notify the Voltori. And, you know, his right-hand man's like, well, that's good. And so, you know, we don't need to worry about them anymore. It's like, oh, contraire they have something that i want and that's what uh, takes us home and the credits is a good segue because i fucking love the opening credits of part two the way it's just kind of fading in and out between that that color tone of red white and black did you notice that uh billy burke gets fourth billing hell yeah that's good for him amazing that because it's not like his character gets more screen time as the movies go on yeah a year later 2012 bella's back just in all caps in my notes, Bella's back. She learns to hunt. Uh, she is able to show good restraint. You know, Edward's kind of showing her to take it easy with her her powers and whatnot. Uh, she almost fucking pounces on a human, but is able to control herself. Because as we've learned through Eclipse, you know, the newborns are the most powerful. And, you know, not even the, the tenured vets can necessarily overpower or control them. This is the second uh, the second big payoff, I guess, through the franchise, right? Like, there were two things that we were waiting for that the movies have been teasing us about. One is, when are Edward and Bella going to have sex? And the second one is, when is Bella <laughs> going to turn into a vampire and get superpowers? So, this the sex happened in the previous movie. This movie gives us Bella with superpowers. It's everything I hoped for. You are rewarded for your patience. Yes. She quickly learns the fortunes of her daughter and that she was imprinted upon Renesme, and she does not take the news. Well, kind of beats the shit out of Taylor Lautner. It's kind of a fun scene in the sense of yep. everything we've gone through. And now, uh, you know, she's overpowering him outside, just beating the shit out of him. And we learn that it's been what, two weeks or something. And he's already got a nickname for his girlfriend. Who's an infant. Just like, I call, <laughs> I call her Nessie. It's not his girlfriend. It's his ward. I mean, Jacob tells her. It's like, it's not what you think. It's not what it sounds like. Uh, oh, yeah. She quickly understands because the, the gang's having fun in the next scene. Everyone's just having like a hoot. You know who was missing? Who hasn't been having a hoot for uh, like a whole movie now? Our favorite character, fourth billing in this movie. Billy Burke? Billy Burke is really talented because he's playing a character that... Even though he's right in the middle of everything that's happening, he has no idea that there's this supernatural world surrounding him. And, you know, as the movies go on, it becomes even harder for someone to buy that he doesn't notice anything, you know? And this movie puts that to the test. Like, it takes it to the limit. Jacob kind of, you know, eases him into the the supernatural side of this little town, but without telling him about the vampires. Uh, mm -hmm. I guess the logic is that if, if he told him about the vampires, then he would be in danger because the Volturi would kill him. Uh, but the way that Billy Burke plays this scene is like, that's talent. Like, you have to be a talented actor not to get on the audience's nerves. You know what I mean? Like, he's still very lovable and you understand. You, you would buy that he wouldn't ask any more questions. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting sequence because it appears as though Jacob cares more about Charlie than Bella or Edward do because they are too busy in their new house, fucking doing all this stuff, hanging out with their computer-generated baby. And, uh, you know, it brings to the attention, Charlie's been calling here every day. We're going to tell him you're dead, and then we have to disappear because you can't be seen around here. And exactly what you said, Jacob, to try to ease that 
shows Charlie that not everything is what you what it seems. There's more to life and the things that you know. Uh, there's more than what you know, basically. And then, like you said, unveils himself as a, a werewolf and a, a very, very good comedic scene from Billy Burke yep. where he's just like, uh, I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> and like Jacob starts taking his clothes off and he's just like, all right, well, I'm going to leave now. And then there has the great, he's just like, <laughs> Jacob, put your clothes on. And he turns around to leave. And then when <laughs> he becomes the werewolf, he has that great sell of, and that's talent because, you know, it was just a tennis ball, like being like moved at him quickly that he had to react to. And good right. on him for doing that. Uh, we get a montage of Bella learning how to act like a human now that she's a vampire. That's pretty entertaining because Kristen Stewart, I think is kind of, um, underrated in as far as her comedic chops go when she hosted Saturday night live a few years ago, had some really funny shit on there. Um, and in this, it's just, it's funny because it's, she's doing all the Kristen Stewartisms when she's trying to act like a person. It's maybe, you know, a minute long, but it's a well done, uh, scene in the movie. There's so much, uh, gloom and doom in the twilight franchise. It, it makes sense. I mean, it's, it's, you know what the story's about. And it's a, a, a tragic romance in a way, or a, a struggling romance. So it makes sense. But, what that does is that the moments where the characters and the filmmakers, the actors, uh, get to just have fun, they shine even more brightly because the you know stuff like Jacob taking his clothes off in front of Charlie or Bella <laughs> learning to slow down her movements so she doesn't give away that she's a vampire, learning that she has to consciously breathe. Uh, that's that's like really funny stuff. That's really the details. I mean, it's stuff that you could cut out because it's not part of the big plot. You know, it has nothing to do with the. <laughs> the threat of the Volturi, uh, but but that's where the flavor is, and I I was glad that's why you split Breaking Dawn in two movies, so you can have these little moments that really uh, make the story entertaining. Okay, I got it. Move around, blink, slouch. We learned that the Volturi's coming as they've learned about this child, uh, the cousin that we mentioned from part one, Irina. Goes and blabs. They had a kid, and it's an X Men, and you know <laughs> they need to kill it because they think it's an immortal child. We get a pretty fucking metal like flashback to what had happened previously to immortal children of like their parents getting decapitated and their arms ripped off, and then these little kids thrown in the fire. So it's a bad fate for Renesme. Uh, it should be okay because the child appears to be a robot. But uh, <laughs> I think that there was that. Uh, I, I really appreciated that they went the CGI way with the with the kid until they could find it, an actress. You know, they got to the age where they could get an actress that could do her justice. Because uh, you needed that baby. It's supposed to be a weird baby. It's supposed to be an unusual baby. And it's supposed to be a baby that emotes. Uh, you can't do that if you unless you CGI it. So I was. I, I think one of the reasons why I bought so much into the the imprinting. Uh, scene is because you have a baby that's actually working in tandem with Taylor Lautner's performance. So I was I was glad. I'm actually surprised that more movies haven't gone this way, this route when it comes to uh, depicting infants, because it's gotta be so much easier than actually wrangling a a real life baby. <laughs> wrangling, just fucking got your lasso out. Get back here, baby. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know, man. We've done Look Who's Talking on here before, and I can tell you what, they found a way to make those babies emote. And I think that uh, obviously it was a different ball game. We're talking John yes. Travolta, Kirstie Alley against Robert Pattinson and <laughs> Kristen Stewart, you know, pick your fighter type thing. Uh, but they go on this like world tour of summoning different members yep. of uh, the not just the Collins, but, you know, their cousins, their friends acquaintances they've made over the past hundred years uh, or hundreds of years and they assemble what is basically an army but they're doing it with the intent of calling them witnesses so they can stand up to the Volturi and say hey this ain't what you think it is <laughs> one of these people is academy award winner rami malik i had no fucking idea he was in this and he he's like um Storm, I guess, would be the best. I was trying to think of an X-Men or someone with superpowers to compare him to, but he controlled, he controls the elements, so that kind of be Storm, right? Is it all the elements or just water? Well, he can, like, break the ground and control, like, dirt and shit. He can control any element. Fire, he can control. Oh, he's a, so, he's a bender from a... 
the last airbender except he, he bends everything that's it that's what i was trying to think of yeah no storm just controls the weather she can shoot lightning and, and shit but yeah he's a bender uh he's also uh, an academy award winner <laughs> yes uh, <laughs> <laughs> he seems so happy to be in this movie he really does god bless him you, you know you know what other movie he had come out in 2012? The Master. And he, maybe he filmed that before this, and he has to be like a little squirrely weirdo in that that gets cucked. So he was just like, God, this is so much more enjoyable. I get to play around on these CG sets, and I have power. So it just becomes a long sequence, and it turns into a montage of preparing. We see the different powers that these different people have. During the assimilation of this crew, this ragtag team that they've got, we find that Jasper and Alice have skipped town. They've headed out. Presumably, Alice has had a bad premonition or some shit. And, but she leaves behind a message for Bella because we've learned that the, you know they can no longer read Bella's mind. And so if Bella has the information, then no one else can like freak out about her. No one could steal that from her. But it basically explains... Voltori's coming. Be sure you're prepared by the time the snow hits the, or sticks on the ground because that's when they come. This is where the post, the inspiration for the poster came from. Civil War style. I know you go to wrestling, but to me, that is the the heroes running against each other. That's fair. It's just when I saw the poster for the first time, I'm like, that's the 91 or 92 Royal Rumble poster. I was like, who's the fucking Joker that did this? I want names. <laughs> uh, do you Are you familiar with Lee Pace as an actor? new which one is he so he's the the guy with kind of like the shaggy long hair he's uh they they recruit him in an alley he's like killing some dude <laughs> okay yeah he's the i hate i hated the british invasion i could definitely tell i was supposed to know who he was mm-hmm. the way they lingered on him and made him like a character yeah 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 he's the guy that yeah he's been on every war or something and uh he's great he's great i was i did not know he was in this i actually i popped for him more than i did for Reb malik because uh, you know, love Rami Malek, but Lee Pace is Lee Pace. <laughs> he's in the MCU. He plays uh, Ronan the Accuser. So you know that he's he's a big name. Sounds interesting. Help! But first I better finish my meal. Uh, Alice and Jasper set up this rendezvous for Bella. Uh, she thinks it's going to be to help them escape, but in reality it's just to help Jacob and... Uh, Renez may escape and flee the country, which she immediately reads as like, oh, we going to die. And so <laughs> so when it comes to the final showdown here, Bella realizes the the gravity of the situation. Um, Alice and Jasper come back. She promises the child won't be at risk. She asks, you know, look at hold my hand, you know, look in for, you know, take my hand and you will see it to be true, that type of thing. And when he does, she says, you know, you see this, but you've already made your decision. You know, it's going to be a war at hand. And Carlisle's the first to try to defend the herd. And fucking Mike Dexter gets said ripped off. And then it's just, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to, what's a uh, Dark Knight Rises. And the, the cops show up against Bane's army and just ah, charge <laughs> forward. First casualty, Mike Dexter. It's appropriate, I guess. You know, if you're going to kill one of the Collins, he's probably the one that would give you the most impact out of Edward, you know, but there's no way they were going to kill Edward that that soon. Now, once they kill Max, Mike Dexter, did you get the feeling that just like anything goes, like anybody is fair game? Yes. That's awesome. <laughs> I, unfortunately, I, I had gotten this spoiled, like how this whole thing turns out. I, I've known this the entire time, which was a bummer. But even then, I was very invested in just everything that happened. I, I just knew how it was gonna, how they were gonna fix it. So that I wish I could transport myself to a time when I didn't know and then watch this movie not knowing, because I think it's great what they do at the end of this movie with this climax is kudos. It's a wild fucking battle, man. There's just decapitations left and right, and like everyone is fucking dying. Jacob takes off with Renezme to protect her. Um, the old dude that's with Michael Sheen, I didn't catch his name, but it has like the biggest laugh for me in the movie where he realizes he's about to die and he just goes, finally, <laughs> and then he gets killed. I thought that was absolutely spectacular. He gets killed by the Transylvanian brothers, I think, right? 
Yeah, they weren't caricatures at all. Uh, again, <laughs> I've never read these books. I don't know what it's really like, but like, I didn't know if this was just... But they were more true to the Transylvania spirit than Gary Oldman in Bram Stoker's Dracula. They were fucking Count Chocula. They were doing that <laughs> shit. It was just like, come on, dog. But in the wake of this path of destruction and death and just viscera and chaos, we flash back and we see that it's what the vision of the future is if Michael Sheen doesn't quit fucking around because uh, he sees himself die in the end. At this point, he deems that they are not a risk, not something they need to worry about so they can go back to Italy and, I don't know, eat crackers and drink wine and shit. And so all the Collins are still with us. Everyone's fine in line. No casualties. Like, we saw most of them die, but they didn't really die. It was all in uh, Michael Sheen's head, which is literally having your cake and eating it, too. (laughs) It is. (laughs) They gave us the bloody battle we all wanted. They made us feel the loss of so many of our beloved characters. And then they were like, just kidding. But you got it anyway. I can only imagine the uninitiated like the people, the young girls that hadn't read the books but were really smitten with the movies, like the reaction to all this. It had to be just like pure ecstasy to see that everyone was well, still with My them. understanding, and maybe you can you can set me straight if you have actually read differently, but I don't think it's that this way in the book. Like the, the, the fake out is not in the book. Oh, really? Oh. If it's not in the book, that means he was, he was fucking with book readers as well, which is great. That's tremendous. Uh, but it's a happy ending. Everyone goes back to the colon compound. Uh, we get like this really morbid joking around with uh, Edward and Jacob where, you know, I'll always protect your daughter. And then he asks, should I start calling you dad? And, and you know, <laughs> Robert Pattinson just, no. And, you know, it's it's a happy ever after. Alice peers into the future and we see that the four of them, Renesme, Jacob, Bella, and Edward are going to be happy and together for the foreseeable future. And that, you know, who knows how fucking long that is. And then to close us out, we get Bella and Edward in the garden somewhere. It's a scene from a previous movie. I think it's Eclipse. Yeah, it's a scene from a, a, it's at least a location from a previous one. Uh, But we learn kind of where this power that Renesmee has been showing off and on about how they, she can, you know, touching someone and giving them a vision of memory. And we learned that this is something she inherited from her mom because Bella shows not only Edward, but the viewing audience a recap of the franchise and, you know, like their first meeting and everything that's gone down since. It's a, it's a super cut of the, the five Twilight movies. Then when, it, it when it's over, it's like, please don't forget to like and subscribe. Dude, it's one of those things at this point in the movie because we've watched these in such quick succession. It's like, I don't need a fucking recap. And then I'm like, oh, wait, people watch these over like four years. Yep. So it's uh, it had to be so rewarding. And then something I thought was actually a very, very fantastic and nice touch is the closing credits for this are the credits for the entire franchise. Because like Anna Kendrick's not even in the last one, but she gets a credit here. Uh, you, you know what I mean? Like everyone that was involved in all the movies get the get their moment here in the sun at the the closing credits. It's the Avengers Endgame end credits. And sir, I will... That came after this. So you have to say that Avengers did the Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 2 credits. You ever think of that? I mean, that's fair. It's still... They both are great. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Uh, But I did like that. And the... That fucking song, man. The was just dominating the radio back in these days. And I remember cleaning the theaters uh, on the weekends for this. You know what I'm talking about? I have waiting for yep. you. Yeah. And then the, I forgot to mention part one has that Bruno Mars song that also was just like consistently on the radio. Um, I will say that the closing of this movie and the credits and the way they play out with that song that by this point became known as like the kind of theme of the movie. This had to be an incredibly rewarding experience for the people that started in 2008 and were in theaters November 16th of 2012 to see this. Don't you think? Well, yeah, it's a, you know, it's a massive undertaking, like five movies with a cast that basically grew as the movies went on, like in, in talent. In in uh, Hollywood status, 
You know, it's like, so by the time that we get to Breaking Dawn Part 2, I mean, these are all, or most of them are big players, and yet still, they, you know, you just see them, uh, in a way, do their best work when they, when they get to the closing. So, yeah, it's, I guess, it's a testament to the power of the movies that I, I am not the target audience, but I was still pretty happy by the time that we got to the end. I feel we're straddling our own line here between fiction and reality in our our final show down here for Twilight. So I think uh, with the the tone we're on and the what we're talking about here, I think it's a an opportune time to go ahead and shift over to real talk because I think uh, a lot of these sentiments will be uh, revisited or repeated. So Julio, let's uh, let's close out the Twilight franchise and let's get to some real talk. Let's do it. 